0: Hi, everyone, I'm Kyle Dyer, and welcome to Colorado Inside Out on this Friday, December 21st. Now, the plan all along this week was that we'd embrace all of the seasonal merriment and wear our most fetching and festive holiday sweaters because the big story that was out there we didn't think would materialize quite the way it has this week. We have a lot to talk about, but it's also a few days before Christmas, so we've got our sweaters on as is tradition here on Colorado Inside Out. Let me welcome our panel. We have Patty Calhoun, founder and editor of Westward, David Kopel, the research director at Independence Institute, along with Eric Sonderman, columnist with Colorado Politics and the Colorado Springs and Denver Gazettes, and Chris Rourke, managing editor at Denver Business Journal. Colorado is back in national headlines with Tuesday's decision by the Colorado Supreme Court that Donald Trump cannot be on the Colorado presidential primary ballot this March. This all has to do with the 14th Amendment legal challenge that we have talked a lot about
1: on this show, Patty. Well, it was... Better than a Christmas card to hear from people around the country about Colorado again. It put us to the forefront. We are at the, on the morning news on every channel. We were in late night television making fun, you know, where you had um, Jimmy Fallon and Stephen Colbert making fun of how only in Colorado, you know, would you legalize pot and illegalize Donald Trump. So we are definitely back on the news. We will stay in the news because Trump has appealed this to the US Supreme Court. I can't imagine they won't take the case. I mean, this is something that has to be decided. Although it was specifically decided on Colorado's law as it affects the 14th Amendment, there are other states waiting in the wings. Michigan's appealed. I think there are a dozen other states that could take this up again. So it is a gift that is gonna keep on giving for, oh, until early 2024, because our primary ballot has to be finished by January 5th. Donald Trump will stay on it if the Supreme Court has taken up the case but hasn't ruled
2: yet. Mm -hmm. David? So, in 1989, my dad was in the uh, Colorado legislature, and the legislature was debating, the State House was debating a resolution to condemn the U.S. Supreme Court for its recent decision in Texas v. Johnson, which said that the First Amendment prohibits a state from punishing someone who burns an American flag as a form of political protest. And so my dad went up to the podium and said, we're all talking about this case. Raise your hand if you've read it. Not one single hand went up. So you can take with enormous grains of salt 95% of the pro-con commentary you've heard on this case from people who haven't read it. If you do read the case, you, I think you'll see that it involves novel legal issues for which there are good arguments on both sides for the plaintiffs to win, as they did in Colorado Supreme Court, they've got to pull a quadrifecta on four, four issues. Is the president an officer uh, as of the United States, as that term is used in Section 3 of the 14th Amendment? Did his misconduct on January 6th legally constitute engaging in or giving aid and comfort to an insurrection? Is Section 3 of the 14th Amendment self-enforcing or does it require congressional action? And finally, did the five-day trial in Colorado District Court, which flagrantly violated Colorado's own laws for how such cases are supposed to proceed, provide sufficient due process. And on that one, Justice Samore, in dissent, one of the three dissenters, said in 33 years in the justice system, he's never seen any kind of trial like this. So it'll go to the U.S. Supreme Court. The plaintiffs have to pull off another quadrifecta there. The key weakness, a key weakness on their case, is this is about insurrection, which is a different crime from riot or lots assault and things like that. And notably, none of the participants in the January 6th crimes have even been charged with insurrection. And in D.C., Special Counsel Jack Smith, who's throwing the book at Donald Trump for everything in the book, hasn't even charged Trump with insurrection. But the greatest weakness on the Trump side of the case is, yes, the procedures in in the trial court were very regular, but he hasn't pointed to anything that, oh, I I, I wasn't allowed to introduce this evidence, which is exculpatory or anything else. He hasn't found any way he was specifically harmed by the trial court not considering facts that it should have.
0: Okay. All right. Eric, your thoughts?
3: Well, Patty mentioned this as the gift that keeps on giving. That is going to be true for weeks, maybe months. It is also a precursor, in my mind. I think it's a precursor to the year ahead. This will be a presidential election year, unlike any we've seen. This is really just, uh, you know, the first or the second inning of what will be, uh, you know, novel novel territory with a uh, a candidate who will spend as much time in court as he probably will on the campaign trail and all the challenges that will ensue. Uh, As a matter of law, David's the only attorney on this panel, but as a matter of law, first of all, hats off to both the four justices in in the majority and the three justices in the minority. I think they all acquitted themselves well. I think that was all thoughtful, well-reasoned, detailed opinions. Hats off and credit to all of them. As a matter of law, I have a hard time arguing with their finding. I mean, if what Donald Trump incited and encouraged on January 6th was not an insurrection, What is the definition of that word? And Judge Wallace, who the district court judge who heard this case, I thought did a masterful job, even though her ultimate ruling was overturned, in laying the groundwork for why this was an insurrection and detailing all of that. As I have written in commentary, I differ with Krista Kafer, a frequent guest around this panel, uh, and one of the plaintiffs in this case, on the political wisdom of this. I think Donald Trump, masterfully plays the martyr. This just allows him to go back to that role, and he knows that role very well. It is not lost on me that Trump's political fortunes started ticking up and DeSantis started ticking down right at the time the first indictment in New York York City came down against Trump. Uh, He plays that role very well. Ultimately, this is going to be a question of what is anti-democratic? I mean, for many people, January 6 was the ultimate in anti-democratic. But Donald Trump and his people spin and perceive it as this is anti-democratic in terms of keeping them off the ballot.
0: I saw a headline that said, no more democracy in the centennial state. Exactly. Mm-hmm. Chris.
4: Well, I loved how David laid out the all the legal implications of this case. Um, I read Justice Samore's dissent, and he made it about due process. And the fact of the matter is, Donald Trump has not been convicted of insurrection. Uh, Then we had the Secretary of State, Jenna Griswold, come out and say her office would remain neutral and carry out whatever is decided by the courts. However, she offered her own opinion, and she clearly said that she believes Donald Trump is guilty of insurrection. Well, he's not been convicted of that. That is your opinion. I question whether that's appropriate for you know the Secretary of State to be weighing in on. But Donald Trump does have to love this. And even if it isn't playing the martyr, there are people that I know that are not fans of Donald Trump, do not like him, who are now going to vote for him. I think that unifies the Republican Party in a way that we haven't seen. And I think it might even win over some unaffiliateds, not because they like Donald Trump, but don't
0: tell me who and who I cannot vote for. Mm-hmm. So the Colorado GOP is saying that it's going to withdraw from or ignore the state's primary if the ruling is that Trump can't be on the ballot and they'll
1: just deal with a caucus system. Do you think that'll eventually play out or no? It's just a threat. I think it's just a threat from Dave Williams. One of my favorite parts, though, about this decision was that they cited Neil Gorsuch back in 2012, so now it will go before Neil Gorsuch in the Supreme Court, and of course that was a case that Gessler was involved with, with Secretary of State. So it's a very Colorado case going all the way to the Supremes.
3: And I would just add to Patty. the extreme likelihood is Donald Trump is going to be on the GOP Colorado ballot come Super Tuesday because this is not going to be resolved over the holidays before January 5th. Uh, and if that appeal is in process, this the, the ruling is still on hold. on it's, it's, it's stayed. So his name is going to be on that ballot. Yes, I guess it is theoretical that the court could rule before the actual uh, Super Tuesday on March 5th and then his votes wouldn't be counted but I think that's a long shot.
2: But one thing we can say for sure is, let's say the Colorado Supreme Court is right as a matter of law and is eventually upheld by the US Supreme Court. Then we will see retaliatory things going the other way. And if if the Colorado case is right and the Supreme Court says, yep, you you got it, um, then what it means is, this didn't happen in Colorado, but would be lawful in other states, that the Secretary of State, could say, I'm not going to let this person on the ballot because they're not qualified to be president. Just as I would say, well, this person is 32 years old. You have to be 35 to be president. This Arnold Schwarzenegger was born in Austria and not in the United States, so therefore he can't be president. And my power as Secretary of State is certain that I can deny that candidate. I can therefore deny a candidate who I, as the elected Secretary of State, personally believe engaged in insurrection. And who do we start with on that? Top of the list. Uh, Kamala Harris, who, having taken an oath to the Constitution as a senator and California attorney general, arguably uh, gave aid and comfort to the insurrection in in the summer of 1920 uh, by providing financial aid and encouraging others to do so to the rioters in Portland who were attacking and trying to to burn down uh, the United States courthouse there.
0: You know what I don't like is that our justices have been threatened. Krista mm-hmm. has received threats as right. well, that this is all stirring all this up to this degree. Mm-hmm. Right. All right. We will be talking about this a lot more, won't we, in the new year. Um, I have to give a shout out to CPR news host Vic Vella, who has a very good feed on Twitter or X, and he posts on Tuesday night, boy, you let wolves loose in Colorado for one day and look what <laughs> happens. Well done, Vic. So. Uh, Panel, let's talk about how on Monday, Colorado Parks and Wildlife officials and Governor Polis released five gray wolves into Grand County, kicking off this reintroduction program. I will start with you, David.
2: It's not a reintroduction program. No, it's not. No, That's what no. they're calling it. This, this species of wolf has never naturally existed in Colorado. So all the back padding is over restoring Colorado's historic environment. Never true. There was another species of wolf that, that did live in Colorado, but not, not this one, uh, which got kidnapped from Oregon and then brought down here. The only natural wolves we've had in Colorado um, of this species uh, were ones that uh, a small amount that migrated uh, down from uh, from Wyoming, and they wreaked havoc. There's one rancher in uh, uh, near Steamboat who's talked about how he has lost five, he's lost multiple, cat, multiple cattle, three lambs, multiple guard dogs, and he also spoke at public hearings about how all the things that Colorado Parks and Wildlife says are supposed to deter wolves don't work. You said of all those fladry, which is tying little flags on fence posts and, and barbed wire, that, that does work some, but uh, they, it, it gets windy and then they get wrapped around the wire and then it snows and you have to change the level of flattery. All that, the ability of ranchers to protect their livestock is a joke, really. You can only shoot a wolf. At, you have to have two separate attacks by the same wolf. Then you can get a pr- chronic predator Uh, permit, uh, which is valid for 30 days. So, uh, you know, as long as the wolves just spread out who they're attacking, um, they're they're essentially immune. Besides being extremely harmful to ranchers, this will also be devastating to the rural economy for hunting, guides, outfitters, and all the, the small businesses that depend on them. The effect of wolf introduction in many of the valleys in Idaho was devastating to the elk herds so this is absolutely a major new offensive in uh, the war on rural colorado eric
3: well i'm told by both editors where i write and powers that be at this station that nothing generates letters and phone calls from wolf uh, from wolf advocates quite like us opining uh, against uh, their holier than thou interests here. I reside largely in Grand County these days, this uh, near Tabernash, this uh, unanticipatedly hits even closer to home than I would have guessed. I continue to think, I've said it before, I will say it again, I think this was an unwise move on the part of Colorado voters. I think it was unnecessary. I think it was needlessly provocative insult to rural and western colorado Uh, as the crow flies where we live in grand county is not all that far from boulder it's just over what is it the indian peaks there Um, maybe some of these wolves will make that venture make that journey over the top of the continental divide and then a lot of people's tune will change if all of a sudden you see wolves in the front range as it is it is uh, morally superior front range voters being able to feel good about themselves by inflicting this damage and this harm uh, on, on ranchers and others in, in Western Colorado. With that, I know, uh, I know Chris is going to talk about a p- specific piece of this mm-hmm. where a reporter did some excellent research to find out exactly about the pack of wolves mm-hmm. in Oregon from which these critters come.
0: Yeah, and before we get to Chris, I read 60% of voters in Grand County said no, and they're the first ones to get the wolves. Exactly. Well, and really, if you look at the voting stats, it was voters in Denver and Boulder
4: that put this. This was a a very narrow decision. I think if Proposition 114 were offered today with all we know now, it would fail miserably. Maybe another ballot initiative will come forward in the future. But as to what Eric was talking about, what struck me was the romanticizing of this event, the videos that came out. I'm surprised they didn't put music to the videos. Um, the Chariots, governor. Chariots
3: of Fire. Right. Dun, 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 dun,
4: dun,
0: dun.
4: <laughs> Uh, The governor tweeting about it being a historic day, the um, wolf sanctuary and divide coming up with a naming game for for these wolves to humanize them. Let me give you some contrast. There is a reporter for the Fence Post named Rachel Gable. She did an amazing article that's on their website right now. She did research on the wolves that were put on the ground here in Colorado that came from Oregon. Two of the wolves came from a pack called the Five Points Pack. That has nothing to do with Denver. Uh, the Five Points Pack, and it's a depredation pack. And what that means, depredation is a big word for it, they attack livestock. And there have been three separate attacks in eight months from this pack. Wildlife officials put four of the wolves down. We got two of the juveniles from that pack. What do you think those juveniles learned in this pack. I can tell you what they learned. They learned that beef tastes good. And so we will see how this goes going forward. CPW's Jeff Davis told Congress that You know, they were going to make sure problem wolves didn't come to Colorado. We will see if that is the case. Um, I ran into a CPW officer stuck on Monarch Pass because they were removing a truck after a snowstorm. Um, And, you know, he said Gunnison County isn't necessarily going to be a a reintroduction place. They have to see how these Grand County wolves do first, whether they spread out, how they, you know, thrive. What's going to happen with the tax? I know the 10-J rule is in place now. David spoke to that. It's going to be very difficult for ranchers to take lethal action, even as a last-minute, last-ditch effort to protect uh, livestock. Um, Rachel talked about a herd that's near a pack of wolves. They've seen a 28% decrease in conception rates, and also impacts to to weights on their cattle. This is more than just $15,000 for a lost cattle or for a lost cow. Um, it has a lot of impacts. We will only know in the coming years how bad this will be. Perhaps
1: we can back up. Perhaps we can make a change. I'm not sure.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay, Patty.
1: Well, I'm not here to be a wolf apologist, um, but there are a few different dangers you see here. One is, although others disagree with me, I like the citizen initiative process in Colorado. I'm glad, especially as you see what happens with our legislature, which isn't all that representative anymore anyway, that citizens can put forward proposals. Perhaps this one was ill-advised and ill-thought-out. It's interesting that people were not as organized fighting it as they were fighting HH, for example, because it would have gone down, and I think people have learned a lesson from that. The other thing is, even though voters approved reintroducing wolves, the regulations could still be changed. Even if there wasn't an initiative that overturned it entirely, there were two years of stakeholder groups that met to discuss this. So if they made rules, they can be changed if the result is as dire as it is. But in the meantime, I think... Colorado voters who voted for it were maybe well-meaning but clueless. Mm -hmm. And the plan is, what, up to 50
0: wolves over the next few years will be reintroduced, introduced, whatever, you know, people are using that word. Imposed. (laughs) Imposed, okay. Planted. (laughs) Planted, okay. As we wind down the year, Denver is looking to house 1,000 people. Who are currently living on the streets. And the city is reconfiguring how it is tracking the progress. And then a few days ago, next-door neighbor Aurora reiterated its strategy to lessen the number of those who are homeless, which, Eric, is very different from Denver's.
3: Indeed, it is. Uh, first off, we'll know soon enough whether Denver got to the 1,000-figure. My own surmise is, yes, they will get there. Maybe they'll get to a eleven or 1,200. Uh, That's the good news, and credit to Mike Johnston and his administration for energy and for commitment on this. But I have two huge reservations about the whole thing. One is, what does it mean to be housed and how that count works? And a related issue is, and it came out this past week, Kyle, these people are not getting treatment. They are getting housing, but they're not getting treatment. This is first and foremost. Yes, there are people out there because of economic crisis and, and Godspeed to them. But first and foremost, this is a problem of opioid addiction and major serious mental health issues. And until you deal with those pieces and get them treatment, particularly on the fentanyl front, the opioid front, this is just a revolving door yes we will house a thousand but as somebody i had talked to yesterday who is a senior person in the hancock administration their fear is there'll be another thousand behind them and another thousand behind that and so until you deal with the underlying issues which involves treatment and involves more than just a roof over their head and a plank or a bed on which to sleep. You are not dealing with those underlying problems. Hats off quickly to Mike Kaufman and Aurora for at least putting a different model on the table and let's compare and contrast and discuss.
0: You mentioned Hancock
3: administration, do you mean Johnston? No, I mentioned this was a former Hancock administration oh, yeah. official really? who is now watching carefully the Johnston administration.
2: Chris initials
0: MH?
3: No. <laughs>
0: <laughs> Interesting, okay, Chris. Well, you were talking
4: about the terminology of what now they're counting. Now it's called moved indoors. It's no longer somebody who's been housed for two weeks. They have a a category on the dashboard called moved indoors. Um, So there's a change in terminology. There was some fumbling around about the dashboard. Some reporters pointed out that the numbers didn't quite add up. There was some confusion in the Johnston administration about what they were doing with it. They launched this new dashboard. A couple of weeks ago when I was on, I, I talked about the political capital that Mayor Johnston is laying out on this main initiative, this main drive. And I think when you have um, something come up like this where it looks like you've been loose with the numbers or haven't tracked them as well, I don't want to imply anything nefarious, but you know, it, it takes away from credibility. Um, you also have the Aurora model, like, like Eric was talking about, so we'll see. I mean, do numbers go down in Aurora, up in Denver? it's all something that we will determine with a point in time count uh, in January. Um, You know, it'd be great to get these mayors together because this is a not only just a regional issue, it's a statewide national issue. Um, Denver Business Journal is gonna have a State of the Cities event on January 24th at the Westin. You can register online. But that will be a great time to hear from these mayors about their different approaches to how to deal with housing people and, and handling this crisis. So it'll be an interesting year ahead, seeing as
0: the numbers change, what moves around, where people go. Looking forward to Mayor Kaufman said this week that Aurora is a work first city and stable housing is
1: earned through employment. So that's their tactic. Patty. Well work first but get people off the streets. So really in Aurora and Denver they have that in common. We, if you drove to Channel 12 on Thursday, you saw that there have been sweeps all around here. And those are sweeps, although the city calls them encampment resolutions, those are moving people they're getting them inside. You have to get them inside in general to offer treatment. So let's hope the Johnston administration starts working on that. It's the same in Aurora. They're, they're c- cutting down on encampments. They're about to have a stronger urban camping ban, getting people off the streets and getting them to work. That's where you part. Um, I give the Johnston administration credit for at least realizing, although it had to be pointed out to them, that there were significant problems with the dashboard, that the initial 14-day confusion is gone. That's pretty minor compared to the big issue they had originally, which is people were going to go into these micro communities that aren't even going to open until next year. The focus has shifted to motels, hotels, assets that ultimately you hope they can keep recycling as people come in, are off the streets and you hope get treatment and get work.
0: I feel like every, time, every day you turn on your computer, a different hotel motel has been purchased by the city of Denver. Right. It's very active. David.
2: The advantage of having diverse local governments is you get natural experiments where you can see how different approaches work. Mayor Johnston in Denver has a very uphill battle because what he's doing, it's called Housing First, that was a strategy that was tried very energetically in San Francisco and Portland, and turned out to be a complete failure. Mike Kaufman, bef- long before he was mayor of, of Aurora, uh, was a Colorado state representative, and he was the lead sponsor on the Colorado bill to implement the welfare reform uh, laws that had been enacted by pres- uh, and signed by President Clinton in 1994. So he's got a lot of expertise on this topic. If you look at the spending, Aurora is spending about five or six million dollars a year. Denver is spending about a quarter billion dollars a year. And we'll see who, who gets better results. In Eric's point about mental health treatment, of the 600 people who've been moved indoors in Denver, only one has voluntarily sought mental health treatment. One. One. And good for him. Other people ought to follow his example.
0: During 2023, we've talked a lot about the state of politics, both at the hyper-local level, the state level, and the federal level. And with another lawmaker quitting the state legislature before the session starts next month and Colorado primary ballot facing all the legal stuff we've been talking about. And because it's almost Christmas, I want the panel to tell us something that you're wishing for or hoping for for Colorado Chris, what would be your Christmas wish for Colorado? Well, my Christmas wish may not be popular,
4: but I want a white Christmas with lots of snow and I want the snow to continue all winter. And before anyone ugs, because I know people travel over the Christmas holiday, it is so vitally important not only to Colorado but to the nation because The snow leads to snowpack and the snowpack leads to water. Um, Colorado snowpack, I checked it this morning, is only 73% of median. That's the midpoint between the highs and the lows historically, and we're 73%. I went home to Gunnison County this weekend, was up in Crested Butte, and the streets were not busy because there's hardly any snow there. Now, Crested Butte. Mountain Resort makes snow, but there's nothing like having that fresh natural powder. It's vital to the ski industry that we get snow. Equally, the water is important to sit up on that mountains until the spring, and then it comes down into the, the streams and the rivers of, of Colorado feeding fields, and and quite frankly, it comes back to the city dwellers. So it's not just for the ranchers and the cows. It ends up coming back to us. So I want a white Christmas,
1: and I want a very snowy winter. Okay. Patty, your wish. Well, I'll go for the snowy winter maybe above 5,400 feet. But I'm going <laughs> to extend on what Chris said. How about a very smooth DIA experience over the holidays? If you remember last year, where Southwest was in so much trouble, they just had to make $140 million settlement. You had people who never got out of the airport, who never got into the airport. Let's hope it is smooth sailing. And I'm going to add to that wish by saying, maybe they'll can finish construction early. Well that would be nice, that'd be a huge wish. David? Well
2: that's very hardcore Patty to go on the record at wishing for two miracles and so if that <laughs> happens good for you. Um, my family's been involved in the Colorado General Assembly since the late 1950s and the atmosphere and of course there's always partisan divides and heated arguments all that but the, the atmosphere in this last session was toxic in an unprecedented way um, and so my wish is the over 90% of decent legislators in both parties find a way to get together and address the very serious and poisonous atmosphere that's being created by several toxic narcissists. Mm-hmm. Eric.
3: here, here to the um, three people who went before me on this question. Uh, I think with the year that lies ahead and what's in store, we're all going to need some diversions. And so how about we jump forward to June of this coming year and on successive nights at Ball Arena, which I still refer to as the Pepsi Center, uh, the Nuggets repeat as NBA champs and the Avs hoist the Stanley Cup for the second time in three
1: years. I literally just got the chills at the thought of that. I noticed you don't mention the Rockies. (laughs) Have you given up on them?
2: They don't play at Ball Arena. He's gotten much wiser in his predictions. Go
1: Broncos.
0: Oh, yeah. Okay. All right, now it's time for our panel to share a uh, high and low of this week. And we'll start with a disappointment because we have to end on a positive note, Patty.
1: What happened to America's mayor, Rudy Giuliani, just declared <laughs> <laughs> bankruptcy, but even before that, so which means the people who of course had a j- civil judgment against him in Atlanta will never see money. But the insults and the threats that we are seeing now across the country, the threats that have hit Krista, that are coming to the Colorado Supreme Court, Giuliani encouraged those kinds of threats to people who simply wanted to see the political process go smoothly. And with the lies and the conspiracy theories he spread, he has created a horrible situation. Mm -hmm.
2: David. Speaking of toxic legislators, uh, on Saturday there were bomb threats against Jewish community centers all over the United States, including the, the Boulder Jewish Community Center. The Boulder Police Department said we're going to do a serious investigation of this. And Attorney General Phil Weiser sent out a tweet saying good for the Boulder Police Department to do an investigation. Representative Elizabeth Epps said that Phil Weiser's rhetoric exploits pain, weaponizes fear and doubles down on racist policing. And of course we don't even know the race or any conditions about whoever did this. And. Uh, She also got kicked off the House Judiciary Committee um, by Speaker McCluskey, and replaced with uh, Representative Leslie Harrod from a nearby district who is is a black woman, and uh, Epps said that McCluskey's actions just show that Epps, what Epps always knew, is that she'd never be popular with people who support apartheid.
0: Okay. Just go,
3: Eric. Well, I think uh, we can just give Elizabeth Epps a permanent entry uh, in this uh, disgrace category. Uh, I'm going to go back to the sports world for my disgrace. The NFL this weekend, their schedule. Out of 16 games, 10 of them will be on Sunday, Christmas Eve, including the Broncos, our Denver Broncos, playing Sunday night at Mile High Stadium or whatever it's called these days. Um, on Christmas Eve, and then three more NFL games on Monday. Why isn't the whole schedule this Saturday? Uh, On top of the brutality and head injuries of this sport, we now have sacrilege.
0: Mm. Okay, Chris.
4: Mine's a little lighter hearted. Um, My disgrace of the week is my Christmas tree that I purchased (laughs) after Thanksgiving, the day after Thanksgiving, as is my tradition, and um, it's so dry despite watering that um, a lot of the needles have fallen off and it's basically sticks holding up ornaments now i do know that uh, the drought hasn't impacted christmas trees i don't know if it impacted my christmas tree per se or if it was just an older christmas tree but that's what's happened
0: i think you should take this row of tinsel and just decorate your tree when you go home thank you yes
1: (laughs) all right let's end on something bright mary patty well, this isn't so, Mary, but for 30 years, Colorado Springs had a great independent newspaper, the, um, the Colorado Springs Independent mm-hmm. Weekly. It has just ceased publication for January with hopes of coming back, but a 30-year legacy, really important to have that alternative voice. So if you're in Colorado Springs, support it. Okay. All right.
2: The Colorado School of Mines or Diggers, mm-hmm. their football team in uh, NCAA Division II for the second year in a row, went to the national championship game. Uh, they didn't prevail, but once again, they're the second best uh, Division II football program in the country, and their quarterback, uh, John Machoda, computer science major, set a all-time NCAA record at every level for most touchdowns scored by a quarterback in a career.
0: I'm glad you mentioned that, good, thank you.
3: Very cool. Um, we talk about legislative excesses and, uh, and legislative bad actors on both the right and the left. How about a very solid legislator? And that is Colorado's Michael Bennett. And particularly what he has done of late in terms of being a champion for funding Ukraine. There have been stories out there, including one today in the Washington Post, about his personal family history. Uh, of uh, his ancestors escaping from the Ukraine and a wing of the family also from Poland. It is worth reading, but above all else, Michael Bennett is putting this issue front and center of how we are abandoning Ukraine and leaving it to Putin and his tyrants. Mm -hmm.
4: Chris. Well, mine is Ark Thrift Stores because I was commanded to get an ugly sweater for this broadcast from Kyle and all the producers <laughs> and Patty. Patty leaned on me, too. So I got this at Arc Thrift Stores, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer. So shout out to Lloyd Lewis and his crew. They do amazing work with disabled People And um, you can get a great deal there. So if he's not watching, blow up his phone. But
0: uh, mm-hmm. I love my sweater. So. And you look great in it. It's Thanks. perfect. So, for my positive this week is the family uh, took the trip downtown uh, to the Chris Kindle Market. Wow, it is better than ever. Well done, Denver. The vibe is so celebratory. There are really nice, high quality vendors, delicious food, lots of drinks. Tomorrow, Saturday, is the last day for this year's market. So, get down there if you haven't been. And to close out the season, the Denver Brass Band is playing tomorrow, 4.30 to 6.30. And then, how appropriate, an oom Papa polka band will end the night. So grab your family, and it's free to get in right there in Civic Center Park. You guys have mugs. They're really cute little mugs this year. And, uh, yeah, get down there. Uh, thank you, panel for coming in. A lot to talk about this week. And thank you all for joining us uh, with your family watching this weekend from home or listening to our podcast. We wish you a Merry Christmas, and we will see you next week for our last show of 2023.